Dear Christian friends, perhaps two of the most well-known symbols in the Christian church are that of the cross and the crown. We see those inside and outside of churches. We see them associated with logos, and we also see them outside the church, especially the cross. It makes its way into tattoos or accessories or apparel or bumper stickers. We see it everywhere. And the crown as well, though not quite as prominently maybe as the cross. And we know exactly what those stand for as Christians. The cross reminds us of the sacrifice, the price that Jesus paid to make us his own as he died on that cross for us. And the crown reminds us of who he is, that he is the king, that he is Lord over all. Very familiar symbols and we know exactly what they bring to mind or attention when we consider how they uh, attach to the work that Jesus has done. But those symbols also have an application in our life as the church, for the life of, of all believers. While we recognize and, and certainly embrace that the cross and, and its most significance um, it comes from the price that Jesus paid on it, we also acknowledge that Jesus, as he reminded us in the gospel today, asks us to carry our own cross as well. It's not the same, and nor would we ever put it on the same level as the suffering of Jesus, but he does call us to bear his cross. And at the same time, he does promise us at the end of this life, when we're ushered home into eternal life, he does also promise us a crown. And so we see today that as we continue this reflection of what the church is, the church is for both cross and crown. It sure would be nice if it was just the one and not the other. Wouldn't every one of us appreciate or prefer to have just the crown and say, no, Lord, thank you, you can keep the cross. I'd prefer not to deal with that burden bearing. I would gladly trade in all of the, the suffering and, and the sorrowful tears that go along with the hardship of cross-bearing and just give me the crown. And here's the thing about our relationship with God. While he is the one who has done all of the work to set it in motion, to sustain it, to keep us connected to him through faith in Jesus, that's all his work. One thing that God won't do, he won't ever forbid you from walking away from him. That is to say, if you determine that the cross he asks you to bear is too heavy or inconvenient or simply not worth it, you are free to walk away from that relationship with the Lord. But realize what you are also forfeiting. You're also forfeiting and refusing to, to bear or pick up that cross. You're forfeiting the crown that is, that is waiting for you. So walk away, but do so at your own risk which is almost what it appeared as if Jeremiah was ready to do in our verses before us today. The prophet Jeremiah was a pastor to God's wayward people in a very difficult time. At the turn of the century, and he served the southern kingdom, what was left of all of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, until 586, where the Babylonians took them away into captivity. And his was going to be a difficult ministry and knew that from the outset that God had told him clearly, you will preach repentance to my people and they will ignore you. They will not respond the way that you would hope and pray for. But now as we see in these words, it's one thing to be told that by the Lord and it's another thing to experience that agony. And so as we look at the, the words from Jeremiah today, we see the emotional, we see even the spiritual distress that he is going through as exactly what God predicted, told him would happen 
is playing out and his people are not responding to his message. And we get an experience or an idea of the agony and the angst that Jeremiah was feeling in his life as he was bearing this cross placed on him. As if the Lord needed any reminding, Jeremiah recounted for him exactly what he had endured, exactly the crosses he was asked to bear. In verse 15, he he says, You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? Will you be to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails? And we understand so clearly the agony that Jeremiah was experiencing as a result of his preaching and his his work that God had called him to do. It wasn't easy. Jeremiah says, look, Lord, I I loved your word. I've suffered. I've I've experienced loneliness. I I didn't intentionally or or willingly jump in with the world and, and, and engage in revelry and all kinds of things that you are opposed to. I didn't do any of those things, Lord, and yet it feels as if you have abandoned me. And what Jeremiah is experiencing there is something that we can relate to, isn't it? There is this, this idea that we have as Christians that, that seems to, to follow along the lines of thinking that the more faithful we are, the, the easier life should be or the better God should treat us. And it's, to be sure, a flawed way of thinking, and yet we always find ourselves coming back to that rationale. We don't deny, yes, Scripture is very clear that we'll have to suffer, we'll have to experience persecution as Christians, and yet, in our flawed, fallen way of thinking, there is this idea that if we have done just a little bit more, been a little bit more faithful, given a little bit more, churched more, more Bible study, we've served in, in leadership positions, we're good people in our community and at work, that, that surely God must take that into consideration when he's determining how to dole out suffering and hardship and how heavy the cross is that we ought to bear. I mean, after all, it makes sense to us that, that those, those Christians who are distant, disengaged, delinquents. Sure, it makes sense that God would give them a heavy cross to bear, to to get their attention, to call them back, uh, to take their faith and their relationship with him more seriously. But not us, not we who are more faithful. That's not how God ought to operate, right? While it might make sense to us, God's response is pretty clear about how he feels with that way of thinking. Listen to what he said to Jeremiah after Jeremiah lamented. If you repent, I will restore you, that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. How is that for compassion? No shoulder to cry on that the Lord offers Jeremiah. No ear that he's willing to bend to to express his sympathy and, and, and understanding. No, he simply calls him out in repentance This isn't the the God of compassion. This isn't the kind of response that we would expect from somebody that is crying out to him saying, Lord, I'm feeling abandoned. I'm feeling alone. And God's response is, repent? What gives? 
let's play it out, our, our flawed way of thinking for a moment. That, that notion that says that the more faithful we are to God, the easier life should be or the less suffering or the lighter cross we should have to bear. Let's play that out for a moment. And I want you to imagine if God did actually respond that way to us. Lord, I'm faithful. I do this, that, and the other thing. And life should be easy. And God does. He says, oh, I'll give you this, this light cross for your, your faithfulness as a reward. And life will be easy and, and, and prosperous. And you'll enjoy bountiful blessings from my hand. Uh, maybe a little bit of suffering here and there, but all in all, it's going to be a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful life. Now, if you are on the outside looking into the church, what do you see? You see something that undoubtedly is pretty appealing, right? Uh, you might draw the conclusion, wow, those, those Jesus followers, those believers, those Christians seem to have a pretty good life. They got it good. Their God really takes care of them. I might just be willing to give that a try. So then you have to ask yourself, what would those on the outside looking in really be drawn to? God or the good lives of the godly? And do you see how God uses this to, to weed out those that confuse the glory uh, of being associated with God, the, the glory attached to just this world and, and temporary satisfaction and desires and prosperity and blessing with the eternal ones. Because if we are more focused on these ones at the expense of the eternal blessings, we risk losing it all. And that's what Jesus said in the gospel. If you lose your life for my sake, then you'll, you'll gain it. You'll know what real life is. But if you give up this life, this world, this time, and this isn't everything, then you stand to really gain everything at home in heaven. And that's what, what the Lord wanted Jeremiah to understand. He didn't want Jeremiah to, to forfeit that crown. He didn't want him to, to revel in his, his pity party and lose sake and lose, lose sight of the fact that, that this life and the good of this life is not what God is most concerned about. He wants to spend eternity with us. And so he wants Jeremiah to be reminded that the good life is, is what is, is coming. And that call to repentance is the one that, that shakes us up, that reminds us of our flawed and faulty thinking. See, repentance is a turning to, and that's really the, the word that the Lord used when he called Jeremiah, turn to me, repent. That's what exactly it is. It's a turning away from yourself. When we look at ourself, then we might see this false idea that there's some redeeming quality in me, that there's something lovable about me, that there's something that, that surely God must understand I should have it easier or a lighter cross to bear. But repentance acknowledges there is nothing in me at all. And, and it turns from me to the Lord and it realizes he is my great treasure. He is the one that matters more than anything in this world and this life. And so the cross that I am asked to bear, I do so willingly because I know it's temporary and I am well aware of the crown that is waiting for me. The other thing that repentance removes is any notion that, that I'm somehow deserving or worthy or even holding God's hand and helping him along in my salvation. Because doesn't grace, isn't mercy, aren't they just diminished if I have something to contribute? If there's some quality in me that God can offer or save or redeem? 
then doesn't that diminish everything that Jesus did for us? The life that, that he lived, the sacrificial death that he gave up, to say, well, those are well and good. They'll cover part of it, but I've got to do some too, and surely that counts for something, Lord. And all we end up doing is diminishing what our Savior Jesus has truly done for us. Repentance acknowledges how great that gift of mercy and grace are. Those gifts that God exercises freely and extends to us not because he saw something in us, but rather because we realize there's nothing good in us to be seen. And we recognize the cross is temporary, the crown is eternal, and so we bear that cross now. We, the, the church, believers, we acknowledge that, that there's going to be a time here on earth where we are called to carry different crosses. And, and we don't do it because the, the cross is somehow impressing God. We do it because it acknowledges he's already done everything for us. And if you think that cross is, is heavy now, don't think it's going to get any lighter. Because the world is not going to increasingly put up with, with views that it sees as intolerant and, and close-minded. And as we let our light shine, do you really think that, that the world is not going to feverishly, aggressively try to snuff out that light? And as we continue to be the salt of the earth, which we are called to do, which isn't an option, do you think that the world isn't going to say that, that it wants nothing to do with, with our seasoning? No. It's only going to, to get more difficult. The crosses are only going to get more and more difficult to bear. And yet they are ours. And we embrace them. But that doesn't mean that we have to go and look for them. It doesn't mean that we, we crave them. We don't have this martyr complex. And we have to guard against this. Uh, it seems to become being more and more uh, common in the Christian faith for for those to seek out, to play the, the victim mentality of, of a Christian. Oh, woe is, is me. The, the world is against me. The government is against me. Society is against me. Uh, pity me. Do you really think the world is going to sympathize? Do you think the world is going to extend any pity or mercy to you? No, I'm guessing it's only going to lay it on even thicker if we try to win over others in the world by playing the martyr or the pity card. So what do we do? We bear that cross willingly. And we see it as, as an honor to be able to bear it. We recognize that it is a privilege to be called a follower of Jesus, one who belongs to him. And we know that he promises to provide us with the strength to bear those crosses, just as he promised when he restored Jeremiah he said to, to Jeremiah in verses 20 and 21, I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but, you will, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the cruel. Notice that, that the Lord didn't promise Jeremiah things were going to get easier he didn't say, well, I'll remove these crosses from you that I've asked you to bear. He simply promises what? I'll be with you. I'll rescue you. I will save you. And repeats it, I'll save you. I will redeem you from the grasp 
of the cruel. And that restoration that the Lord promised Jeremiah is the same that he promises to you and to me. I have already rescued you in Jesus. I will deliver you from from this world and this time of cross-bearing. And so endure, bear it, because we know what is in store. We know that a crown is in store. As we were reminded uh, last Sunday, a a crown that, that is in the presence of Jesus forever. The cross, the temporary uh, burdens that are associated, again, not just uh, things that we have to deal with as Christians, but things that we deal with specifically because we are Christians. We do it because we know we're going to trade them in for that eternal crown, to be in the presence of the one who promised and then made good on that, that promise to deliver us and save us and rescue us. And that is exactly what our Lord has done through Jesus. So we long for that crown. And in the meantime, we rejoice that his church here on earth is for both, both cross, but what a joy it's going to be to trade that in for a crown. Amen.